Welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Every week, we'll be talking shop with lacrosse goalies, coaches, and special guests. This is the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. Now your host, Coach Damon Wilson. Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, goalies from around the world, welcome to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Damon Wilson, and this is the only podcast 100% dedicated to the best position in sports. It is the lacrosse goalie. And on this show, it is my job, my duty, to find the best goalies and coaches from around the world and tease out the details of what makes them or what made them so great. This week, we've got an absolute fantastic guest. It is Bob Rule. Bob played his college ball back in the 70s for Cornell, won all sorts of awards, played for Team USA also in the 70s. It is my honor, my pleasure to be able to chat with the great Bob Rule and pick his brain about what made him so great as a goalie and what youngsters can do to improve their own game. I hope you enjoy this conversation with goalie legend Bob Rule. Before we start this conversation with Bob, I want to read a word from our sponsor, and that is my own online Lax Goalie Rat camp. We're certainly in some unprecedented times with this quarantine and this lockdown. If you want to take advantage of that time to become better at the goalie position, to come out of this as a better athlete and a better goalie, I recommend you check out my camp, which is full of videos and workouts and drills, all of which you can do in your backyard. So check that out. It's laxgoalierat.com slash goal is where you'll find all the information. If you're a coach, if you're a parent, if you're a goalie yourself, go through those drills, go through those mental exercises, and I guarantee you're going to come out on the other end a better lacrosse goalie. laxgoalierat.com slash goal. For info, laxgoldyrat.com slash goal. Enjoy the show. Nothing major. All right. I would love to talk about that. Uh, well, let's get into it. My next guest on the Lax Goalie Rat podcast is the great Bob Rule. Bob, welcome to the show. Thank you. I uh, mean, it's such a pleasure. I'm, I'm so glad we were able to connect. Um, you start, you played at Cornell back in the 70s. Uh, it's a little, little while ago, huh? Do you remember <laughs> when, you first, when you first got started in goal? Well, the story I would tell people is the first game I played in was the first game I ever saw, lacrosse game. It's a, <laughs> it's a famous little story about, about my life. I was from Natick, Massachusetts. I was a hockey goalie. I started playing hockey when I was 9 or 10. I'd been there for six years. I was there starting high school goalie as a sophomore. My father got transferred to Long, to New York City, and he chose to uh, buy a house in Manhasset, Long Island, which little did I know then was a you know absolute hotbed of lacrosse, but mm. no hockey. So I yeah. played. I was a football player. I played football, and then I was a junior in high school at this time. And some of my friends said, "Well, why don't you play lacrosse? We need a goalie this year, and uh, you were a hockey goalie. Why don't you try it?" So over the winter, they shot at me. Gave me the equipment that where they gave me the old wood sticks and they yeah. shot at me. And uh, I had a wonderful coach, Renzi Lamb, who later on wants to be the Williams coach. And uh, so I started playing in the spring and the first game I played in, and that was not the time there was no TV. You didn't know players at other towns. 
there were no college games to go to. So I got right. in the goal against Freeport High School, and I realized this is the first game I've ever seen. I never, <laughs> I never seen a lacrosse game. So the first game I played in was the first game I ever saw. We won 5-3, and I think I had three shots taken at me. But that's how I started my career. That's great. That's awesome. So coming from that ice hockey, <clears throat> ice hockey background, like, did you instantly jump into a lacrosse style technique or were you doing more like ice hockey style saves where like the shot comes to your off stick shoulder and you kind of throw up an arm and get like a blocker on it? Absolutely. I, and, and you know, you've got a copy of my book. I always emphasize body, move your mm -hmm. body. And that's from hockey step to the mm -hmm. ball, move your body. And yes, I had, uh, if you were to look at me play during that time period when I played, I think I was the much more body goalie than most goalies would be because I was used to doing it for uh, hockey. And uh, yeah. I'll give you an example. I wore, I was, a, and the other thing about hockey is it's interesting. Most right-handed people are left-handed hockey players. They hold, they hold their um, sticks to the left. Their, their mm. uh, dominant hand is up on top, your right hand. So when I became a cross player, even though I'm right-handed, I brought yeah. the stick up and I became a left-handed goalie, which turned out to be, to me, in the long run, a huge advantage because good shooters are used to, the better you get in the game, the more you get shooters who actually know where they're shooting for. And uh, most guys were taught to shoot off stick. Well, right. if you shoot against me off stick, uh, most of the time you're going against a right-hand goalie, you'd be shooting right into my stick. Now, the point I was about to make about equipment I actually wore a, a, a knee, um, a uh, elbow pad on my right arm because I would slide my arm over just mm. like over hockey. And I learned very quickly that with nothing on it, it was painful. So sure. if you saw pictures of me, then you'd see me when I got to college playing with one arm pad on my right arm. Mm. And uh, so that there, there was a definite though carrier from hockey to lacrosse. Definite. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine the carryover too is even stronger. And like you stepped into um, being a lacrosse goalie with a, just a solid understanding of arc play and angles. Cause yeah. that's, that's what a lot of goalies like you have to teach them is, you know, the arc play, right. And where to set up on the arc to cut down, to increase the possibility of a shot. And I imagine as an ice hockey goalie, you had that background. Absolutely. And it's also where, Damon, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Basics. Learn the basics. When I was a hockey goalie, I would just stand in the crease. If I had time on my own, I would stand mm -hmm. in the crease and I would glide to the left, to the right, trying not to look to the edge of the crease to the left, the edge of the crease to the right. I would imagine shots and set up and turn and look, turn my head and look to see, as you said, the angle. So eventually yeah. it became second nature to me without me thinking about it, setting up. When I started playing lacrosse, I thought the same thing. Angle, mm -hmm. know where you are in the crease by tapping the pipe. And, you know, I would tap the pipe and look, tap the pipe and look. And eventually I could tap the pipe. And just by tapping it, I would know where I was. I learned the basics. And that was, those are the practices on a Saturday afternoon when I was by myself. Or a little bit after practice, when I really wanted to work, I was a little bit tired. So I always mm -hmm. felt, that learning the basics and then expanding from that is the way you should learn to play a game. And I yeah. get a little disappointed when I see a lot of goalies who kind of skip the basics, so to speak. You know, they go right yeah. into looking fancy and shoot and, you know, for shots and stuff without doing what you said, cutting the angle down, knowing where you are in the crease 
you know, having that, that self-possession of, of, of being a goaltender. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Bob, I had a gentleman on the podcast by the name of, of Rodney, um, uh, Rodney Roman, Rodney Roman. And he's, he's a goalie of your era. And, um, we were talking a little bit about the differences that, you know, how the game, how the position was taught back in your era versus how, you know, how it's taught and how the game is played now. What, what are some differences that you see specifically about how goalies were taught and how they played, you know, back in the, back in the seventies? Well, like everything else, if you've watched hockey now, I was a hockey guy. I played hockey at Cornell and mm-hmm. as a goaltender. And if you watch a hockey goalie today, they bear no resemblance at all the mm-hmm. hockey goalies of my time period. Uh, everybody does, you know, they go down in the, uh, the V. The butterfly, you know, and, right? And, yeah. yeah. And, and it's actually interesting enough, and I think you're going to find it, it's an advantage to be tall as a hockey goalie. Because now when you go into that V, if your legs are longer, you cover more area. And you're sure. higher up in the goal. So you look yeah. now, you'll see a lot of goalies, 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, when I played, there was a great goalie named Kenny Dryden at Cornell. He was one of the first guys. He was 6'4". And he just covered the goal. But today, it's an advantage. And I think in lacrosse, what you've seen is, uh, first of all, all the improvements like the helmet, the stick, the gloves. Uh, the game is faster. There are better athletes. They've, yeah. uh, you know, they get better coaching. They play some of them year-round. So everybody is better skill-wise. Everybody is. Everything is quicker than when I played. When I played, maybe there were two or three guys on a really good team who could really shoot the ball. That's not true today. You'll have six guys on the field, and all of them can pump the ball at 90 miles an hour and hit a corner. So I think goalies today are actually the better athletes than I was. They have to be. And um, I think that uh, because of the quickness of the game, they have to set up a little bit different, have to be better prepared for a shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are things that I kind of um, look at. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I don't like that squat position where their feet are wide apart. Uh, mm-hmm. to, to that, you know what I'm talking about? They do that with the five hole. And I say to myself, wait a minute. The goal is six by six. You want to be as tall as you can in the goal because you got to want to be able to move. Plus, you're giving guys. If I was a shooter, I'd be saying, ooh, five hole. And, you know, I've watched some games and I've seen that happen. I like the idea of your feet, you know, placed as wide as your hips. Uh, and as I said, stepping to the ball and so on. So I'm a little bit old fashioned that way. And, yeah. uh, and I think when I played, getting the equipment idea, there were very few people, if anybody, throwing 100 miles an hour. I could step right. to the ball and not get hurt. I could right. be hit in the thigh, get a bruise, but not a contusion. And I think that's a huge change in the game. I think a lot of goalies are now much more stick goalies than they are, you know, body goalies because you're like that excellent, uh, I read your excellent article about it. Your body instinctively flinches when it's about to be hurt. Of course. And, uh, yeah. And goalies instinctively start to learn not to slide your body in front of it. And uh, that's why I talked about equipping you. I think modern goalies have to be equipped for the modern game and they're not. Just I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Yeah, it's amazing how many times you see like real young kids going out there just not uh, equipped, not equipped. Yeah. And I interview professional goalies on this podcast sure. and they say, you know what? Like when I suit up in practice, like I put on all the pads. Like, are you kidding right. me? These dudes, these dudes are shooting it 
over a hundred miles an hour exactly. and like to get exactly. hit in the legs. I mean, you know, yeah. call me what you will, but like that just gonna, that's going to take the take the wind out of my sails for that training session, and I'd much rather not have that <laughs> be done. So I think it's a matter of time before you see goalies like well, having required leg padding, don't you? Absolutely, Damon. Here's the key. I think when I started to play, there was still a big contingent of goalies that did not wear chest protectors. I mean, wow. if you could imagine, great goalie Jimmy yeah. Kapler was a great goalie, and. Uh, I wore one. I mean, I went from hockey to lacrosse and I was used to wearing, you know, a lot of equipment and yeah. just with a chest protector, I felt kind of naked out there to tell you the truth. <laughs> sure. You know, there's peer pressure. You don't want to look all padded up if nobody else is, because I think you use the machismo there. You know, there's yeah. the feeling of, I'm not going to look like uh, I can't take it. And so I think you and I can do this, Damon. It's the rules committee once the rules committee says, look, you got to wear uh, pants or like football pants, you have mm-hmm. to do it. And everybody right. then has to do it. There's no machismo involved. It's right. that's what the, the rule is. The rule. Right. I mean, it was like putting on the, uh, like you said, a, a chest protector now that's a little more bulky. It's the rule. So everybody mm-hmm. is starting off with the same thing. And I think, Damon, I, I would love to work with you to, to, um, persuade the rules committee to get the lacrosse goal into the 21st century. Now they might argue that, Oh, they can wear that if they want. Well, that's different from saying you got to wear it in a game situation. And I believe that, um, you know, it took a guy getting hit in the throat and watching the goalie and almost dying to get the rule passed that put that piece on. And I had friends, I wasn't, I had retired by then, but I had friends who complained. So, Oh, it's, it doesn't work very well and does work, you know, it, 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 it's distracting and blah, 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 but I got to yeah. do it. Well, within a year, they were used to it. I, I mean, look at, a, look at a hockey goalie, how, again, bigger, better players, look at the size of a hockey goalie's uh, leg pads. It's so right. much bigger than what's that were. The size of his catching of his blocker. They've kept yeah. up with the times. What's lacrosse done to really protect the goalies? The problem is you don't die most of the time if you get hit in the leg. So therefore, I don't think they feel that, that I don't think the rules committee feels that impetus to, you know, to change things. But I, I, Damon, I, when I read your article, I totally agree. We've got to do something about having them wear, let's say football pants like Matt Taylor wore, which I thought was very courageous when he did, but to have it as a rule. So everybody will quickly get used to it. And just say it's another part of the game. I think they I love should it. shoulder pads. I mean, God, you can hit the top of the shoulder with a ball going 100 miles an hour. Man, yeah. I mean, you could hurt it. You could break something. Elbow oh. pad, the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, I've, I had a goalie on. Guy, he broke his clavicle uh, taking yeah. a shot uh, off, the, off the clavicle. Anyway, exactly. you and me, Bob, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm in. I'd love to get involved. I'm in. It's it's so interesting to see like the progression of equipment because I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe a t- there was a time in ice hockey where they didn't even wear face masks. No. Jacques Plant, it took a great goalie to come in and say, enough already. I've had enough stitches in my face. I'm wearing a mask. And it was a very primitive fiberglass thing back yeah. in the late 60s in that area. And there was a lot of, um, you know, undercurrent of, oh, he's a coward. He's lost his, uh, you know, his... Uh, his bravery or whatever you want to call right. it. Sure. Well, you know, very one by one goalie said, Hey, this is a good idea. 
And yeah. look what they wear now. And nobody calls a goalie today a coward for wearing no. it. You got to get the rules committee, though, yeah. to say you must wear it. That's what you and I have to do about the lacrosse stuff, which I'd love to start writing some letters and uh, get the coaches involved, too. Because if you've got Let's everybody do it. doing it, the refer- if the rules committee said, do it, you must do it, there'll be some moaning and groaning. But I guarantee yeah. within a year or two, people will be used to it. I like it. I like it. Uh, Bob, you sent me a copy of your book, Power Goaltending, which I yeah. arrived a couple of days ago. Thank you very much. I've been starting to, to read through that. Uh, you and I have a lot of um, similar, I mean, I'd never read the book, but we have a lot of similar uh, thoughts about like, you know, what it means to be a complete goaltender. And one of those things is just having like this positive mental, oh. you know, the mental mental attitude. What, what does it mean yeah. to you? Or how, I guess the question is, how did that contribute to your goalie success? Well, you know, there's a, I have a, I have a, I think, David, a great story about positive mental attitude. I will say the first thing is a goalie must have no memory. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is if you're in a game, a guy scores on you. I don't even remember handing the ball to the referee or the referee got it. I, I'd go for a game at the end and go, you know, I look at the tapes and stuff, but I, during the game, I, I would just, every, you know, they score a goal on me. Okay. I'm ready for the next one. I didn't think so. I think that's very important for goalie to have no memory during a game when you get scored on and start dwelling upon it. But I'll, I'll tell you a story that set, set my tone as a goalie forever. Okay. My father, who was a baseball player, he was from Worcester, Massachusetts, is a baseball player. I've been a baseball player. He To the end of his life, he never knew what offside was, never could figure it out. And uh, But we were talking one day, and this is now I'm a senior in high school, I come back from a practice and he asked me, what was it like? What was practice like? I go, dad, we had a scrimmage day. We scrimmaged uh, East Meadow. And I'll tell you, my defense was terrible. You know, this guy was terrible. and This guy didn't do what his job was and so on. And I got shelled. I mean, I really got shelled. And, you know, so my father looks at me, he goes, you know, I don't know much about the game, but what is your job? I said, Dad, I'm the I'm like the captain of the defense. I'm the one who, you know, I run the show. I'm the guy. <clears throat> My father goes, you know, it's funny. What I look at is you're the last resort. If they make a mistake, it's your job to make up for it. Because if they, if they don't make a mistake, you'll never get a shot taken on you. Well, Damon, I'm telling you, my mind did a complete reversal. I said, you know, he's right. And so when I went out into practice, I would be positive with my defenseman. I'd go, nice check. Or I, I just, I said, yeah, you know, if they score on me, hey, that's my job. So why am I yelling at a defenseman? You know, I mean, right, right. yeah, I don't do it. So I became a very positive, I think, goalie. I didn't yell at my defenseman. The other important thing, Damon, I think a lot of goalies don't do young, especially. You mm-hmm. don't know the weaknesses and strengths of your defenseman. You have three defensemen. One guy might high school now we talk about. One guy might be a high school All-American. The other guy might be a good high school player. The other guy might not be very good at all. So who are you going to throw to on a clear in a tough situation? If you throw it to the guy who's not very good, he drops it. Whose fault is it? You've got to know your personnel. I always felt that. You've got to be encouraging, and you cannot start to get in that negative area because before you know it, There'll be five goals scored on you, and you'll be ranting and raving inside, even outside, but internally about how your team stinks and your defense stinks, and that doesn't help at all. So yeah. I always encourage my goalies, be 
positive. And I said, know your personnel. And that's that interior thing you're talking about. And practice, practice what can occur. Uh, and mm. and I said I said back to the basics, but then yeah. learn tricks. Like a guy comes one on one on me, I used to drop my stick, make him think I think you're going to shoot low. At the last second, I bring my stick up. I have a picture from the World Games in '74, mm-hmm. playing Australia, and it shows me I drop my stick, and this guy's coming in on me, and when he shoots, I'm full stretched up, and the ball's on my stick. It was the nice. perfect classic example. Now. Does it work every time? No, but have a plan. Uh, so mm-hmm. many goalies just get in the goal and they're reacting rather than, you know, uh, having a plan. This is what I'll do on one-on-one. This is what I want to do when a guy's coming around the goal. And then they practice it. That's what I see. Uh, there was a goalie in Virginia, great goalie. I mean, he was a great guy. But he, I looked at him and said, I don't think he's ever been coached. Mm. He'd step off the pipe too early, you know, things like that, little things. They get beat on the inside. I said, God, I wish I could talk to him. You know, uh, I, mm-hmm. I just felt that, as you and I both know, the vast majority of coaches were never goalies. And yeah. that's the problem when you're trying to coach a goalie. So yeah. the inner, like you, like you said, it's so important to be positive, have a plan, and understand what your job is. Your job is to make up for the mistakes of the guys in front of you. So yeah, don't blame them. I love it. Yeah. Have a plan. I, yeah, I talk about that quite a bit um, just in terms of, you know, having a plan being like the captain of the defense and that, that is, that factors into knowing your personnel because maybe some, some guy you need to get the slide prepared a lot earlier versus you've got your all American defenseman. He's going to be pretty good. Exactly. (laughs) Um, true. And the second point I'd add there is have a plan, you know, when you get scored on too, because I think a lot of youth goalies, um, go into this autopilot mode, like where it's just yeah. like the rage and the anger just like instantly fills their body. Right. And, exactly. um, and you know, like you said, you got to have a short memory, you got to have a short term memory, but you also need to practice that situation. So I know like whew, one goes zooming over my shoulder. All right. Time to time to do my, my post goal routine process and get back into it. Absolutely. And if you notice in the book at the back, and I used to do this with my goalies, um, I had a chart and I would say, okay, every time I, I would have, I always like to have my goalie on the bench be part of the game. Mm-hmm. So he was the goalie mm-hmm. he was statistic guy for the goalies. So, was yeah. the game. so I'd say, all right, yeah. wherever they score on, make a little X. And so you, like you said, maybe not one game, then you start seeing a pattern. You say, look, you're getting beaten an awful lot, you know, high to the offside stick, which is, we should get beaten. But let's work on that. So let's work on, uh, after practice today, we'll do an extra 15 shots away from mm-hmm. your stick. Hard enough that you have to move, but not hard enough to get, you know, to get, um, get, get I don't know, frustrated or depressed. And yeah. I would always do that. I'd say, look, we always have things to work with. And this was true, I, I would say, right up to the, my, the last really official game I played was uh, um, for the World Championship down in Australia. And right to that point, I would, I later on when I was coaching, I said, I would do the same thing then that I'm telling you to do now is that you should be aware of, of what's going on as a goalie. You have to admit the fact in your own mind that you have to work on things. You're not going to be perfect. And then right. you go do it. A lot of people, as I said, they have no plan. They just get in the goal and 
And for instance, I, I think it's incredibly important to have a plan when you warm up. You know, it, it's how you warm up. And uh, and then when you warm up, you warm up a little bit more on things that the coach or you think you should work on. So, yeah. uh, you know, my mind always was that way. The example I'll give you, Damon, too. When I played, and I, and I noticed this early, and then I had my goalies, I always said to my defenseman, who's got the, before every faceoff, who's got the, who's got the point on the break? Point on break, yep. Who's got the right corner? And, and I said, I did it because I reminded them to do it. All it takes is a split second for one kid not to know what he's doing. Suddenly you got two guys at the point, you know? So I would do that to get the team involved and get my defense involved. And then I did this when I played and I did it when I coached and I would yell out from the sidelines to whoever my goalie was. I go, Hey, who's got the point to remind them. So it becomes automatic. So those are all, there are a lot of other things, but all, those are those little things that yeah. over the course of a season can make a difference in a, in a huge game. You guys don't get confused on, on the uh, fast break, so they don't score, so they don't tie it, so you win the state championship. <laughs> it might be only once the whole season that that by reminding defense it works, but that might be that goal. So I was very much yeah. emphasis on stuff like that. Love it. Love it. When Bob, when you were um... – learning the position back in the seventies, like what, I mean, what's the, what did the training regiment look like? And I mean, what, what kind of exercises did you do? Like, how'd you get better? <laughs> All right. That, that's a great question. Cause there were no coaches. There were no, yeah. there was no, no YouTube. There were no, yeah. No league, no summer leagues, no, no, no YouTube or anything. So yeah. I mostly had to figure out what I was going to do by myself. Renzi mm. was a wonderful help. He had been a defense, but not a goalie. Uh, so I, I decided I was this way in hockey too. I became a, a rink rat. I'd go everywhere to uh, say, Hey, you need a goalie, a hockey goalie. I'll play, I, you know, five in the morning on a Saturday, I'll go and play if you need a goalie. Mm-hmm. Well, in lacrosse, I did the same thing. The The best example, actually why I ended up going to Cornell is between my junior and senior year, uh, there were no summer leagues for high school kids. They were for college kids. And Manhattan had a big team, great guys. This guy, Bruce Cohen, who uh, was a tremendous attackman. And, I mean, he was a college guy. And it turns out the goalie, Mike McMahon, who was at Brown at the time, was working on Wall Street and couldn't go to the practices. So they didn't have a goalie. So this Garth Weber, who was at Rutgers then, who would shoot on me at the high school. He and I would meet. I met him. And I said, you want to shoot on me anytime? And he said, why don't you, you want to be our practice goalie? Well, I jumped at it. And Damon, I treated the practice as like a game. Sure. I said, I'm going to go there. Yeah. I'm going to show myself. And, but you learn by, and I, I always say this, someone will say, what's the difference between playing in high school and, and college? It's faster. Yeah. Everything's a step faster, two steps faster. Well, between my uh, junior and senior year in high school, for an entire summer, I was playing you know, with college kids. So everything was so much faster for me. So when I went back to high school, I really felt, you know, things, uh, I, I was still at that level, but things slowed down in front of me because they were high school kids. But I would mm-hmm. go on a Saturday. Like I couldn't throw very well. And my college kids and my, my teammates would argue, I still can't throw very well. But, <laughs> I was but I would go up to the school and there was a big brick wall and I would take a piece of chalk 
and I would put a target and I would start 10 yards out and say, okay, I'm going to shoot at that target 10 times. Then I would run. I'd run to the right and left and throw. And I attempt to throw with my offhand. Not that I want to be great with my offhand, but I want to be able to use it. I go 10 yards, 15 yards, 20 yards, 25 yards, 30, and I would back out. And then I work my way back in. And um, I would say, I would do that. I said, I get people to shoot on me. And I would have my brothers, I have three brothers, does he want to shoot at me? And I said, sure. And I'd say, okay, I don't want to play with a stick, so I'm going to use a tennis ball. I said, shoot the tennis ball as hard as you want. And so I'd get in a goal and make my body move to the ball. With a tennis yeah. ball, you don't need to get hurt. And so I did all this stuff. That was my uh, summer of my junior year, after my junior year. It was the winter after I stopped playing football. And uh, it got me prepared for my senior year, I think, uh, you know, prepare me. And I've always had that work ethic when I played. I, I would mm. look at the little things and say, all right, I'm going to learn how to throw. Or I'm going to take advantage uh, having kids shoot at me. Do you know, when I was a USA goalie, mm-hmm. I, I would go down the PAL practices, the fourth and fifth graders, and let them shoot on me. <laughs> I, I, it was the greatest thing because they were so earnest you know they didn't shoot very hard i didn't know where yeah. they were shooting so it was great practice for me and they loved sure. it of course but i i mean i i was with they were fourth and fifth graders shooting at the usa goal and they scored sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. but anywhere i could i always tried to practice and get and work on specific skills i think that's really what made me you know the goaltender i was i i I wasn't a great clearer, but uh, as Glenn Mueller would say, and I love Glenn, who was a teammate of mine, he goes, if I had a, you know, if I needed one one goalie to make one save in my entire career, it'd be you. And I nice. took that as a, a great compliment. The it's best compliment. compliment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's why I call my site the lax goalie rat, you know, because yeah, like exactly. you, you know, like that's yeah, the whole idea. Yeah. yeah. And I enjoyed um, it. David, I, I just so enjoyed your writing. That thing with the equipment, my jaw dropped. I go, God, it's a kindred spirit. <laughs> Holy mackerel. I know. It's, it's, yeah. really, it's really very similar how, how many similar thoughts we have uh, in our writing. Sure. It's great. Sure. Um, one of the things I heard in there was sort of like, I mean, in addition to being a lacrosse rat, like a, a lax rat or ice, ice hockey rat, like one of the things that you need to have is a love for the game, a passion oh. for the game. Yeah. And where does your, like, where does your passion for lacrosse come from? Well, you know, I loved everything I played. I loved hockey. I was a football player in high school. I loved that. I was a baseball player. Mm-hmm. I, I think we'll first start with a general idea of camaraderie. I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing closer yeah. than a team. And I love being on a yeah. team. Uh, I love the, uh, I love the challenge, you know, the exertion. Now when lacrosse, it's funny. I, uh, when lacrosse came along and put it into my life, one thing it did is I had moved to a new school. I had football, but I didn't know very many people. I was a junior in high school. I'll never forget it. And these guys kind of befriended me. Now, I know they needed a goalie, but it created a group of friends. And, um, you know, people ask me now, we had a 50th anniversary of our hockey team. Just to, not to brag, Damon, but I was on the greatest collegiate hockey team ever. We were yeah. the only team ever going defeated, 29-0. Uh, in, in uh, 1970. And uh, people asked me, what's it like? I said, I'll tell you, I don't remember the games. I remember the bus rides. I remember right. on a cool day coming in 
and warming up. I remember uh, fooling around in the locker room or before practice. I said, Hang on a second, we got muted. What happened? Unmute. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're back. All right, we're back. Keep it going. Keep it going. You were telling the story of, of fooling around the locker room and you said, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, these are the things that when I, I look back on, it's the things that I remember most. And mm -hmm. going back to playing lacrosse, I mean, I worked hard and my hard work led to a lot of great things in my life. When um, I got into the National Hall of Fame, my speech began. I said, lacrosse for me is like the movie It's a Wonderful Life. If I hadn't played lacrosse, I wouldn't have gone to Cornell. If I hadn't gone to Cornell, we wouldn't have won the national championship. Uh, if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone around the world, the USA team. If I hadn't mm -hmm. done that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten my job as a, uh, a teacher and a coach, which I absolutely loved. I said, all of these things, all of my friends and stuff, Without lacrosse, they would not have occurred in my life. So I, I still look at it with a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, love and, and still very much enjoy going to Manhasset and watch. I sit in the stands. People don't know me anymore, but sit in the stands and watch a practice and watch awesome. those guys and think about I coached for uh, 35 years at Manhasset. And just think about how wonderful that was, that, that whole experience. So I just love the game. Uh, the game was, and the game was graceful with what I would call a little bit of machismo, as you said, you know, it's graceful, but you've got to learn to take hard knocks. You've got to learn a lot of things um, sure. that go with being graceful, but I don't think there's anything more graceful than a lacrosse player with the ball dodging or doing stuff like that on a spring day. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And uh, so that's what I love. I mean, that's the stuff. Awesome. I love the guys. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that rings true for me as well. I mean, I, I grew up playing a lot of different sports. We didn't have lacrosse in California in the nineties. Uh, we do now it's growing. My high school has a team, um, you know, but, but we didn't have organized lacrosse. So I was, I wrestled, I, I played soccer, I um, played tennis but when I started playing lacrosse, like there was something about the camaraderie of the team of lacrosse that was just way stronger than anything that I had ever experienced. And yeah. you're right. Like some of my favorite memories, I have some really good memories of winning some big games, but some of my other favorite memories are just like, like joking around while you're stretching, you know, and, and yeah. that's just, I mean, it's just unexplained. Like enjoy that time. If you're out there listening to this and you're in high school, like, no, it's going to end. And you're never going to be able to replicate that level of camaraderie anywhere, anywhere. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy every single I, second of it. Damon, absolutely. That's what I say. You know, enjoy, have fun. That's the key. Have fun. And uh, someone asked me once about coaching. You know, first of all, I mean, I know we have professional lacrosse, but it's not quite like the other sports right now. But we have it. Mm -hmm. And when I was playing, we didn't. And when I was coaching kids, somebody said to me, what are you preparing your high school kids for? There's no pro game. I said, you know what? I thought about that. And I said, let's say take one of my defensemen. Now he's 35 years old. Just had a big fight with his wife. He's got three kids. They're all sick. The next day, yeah. he's got to give the most important business report of his career. And he'll do it. Because right. he's learned to play under pressure. He's learned how to perform. He also learns, you know, 
And uh, I'll say this generally about sports. One of the most important things about sports, it's one of the last places that you can fail and you've got to come back the next day and get on with your life. And if you know what I mean, in the classroom where you, know, you can take a test five times now until you pass it, in a game, you lose, you lose. And you've got to come back the next day, which to me is what real life is all about. And lacrosse, yeah. certainly, I think, certainly trained me and has trained a lot of people to be able to do that. Especially as being a lacrosse goalie. So I wrote, I'll have to send you this link. I wrote this other post called Eight Life Lessons I Learned as Being a Lacrosse Goalie. Good. I'd love and to see it. Yeah, I'll send you that. I'll send you that after this. And, you know, one is leadership. Leadership, like as a lacrosse goalie, like if you're not a natural leader, you're going to become one. That's just the only way there is to it. Like it's a a leadership position. And so, you know, you're either going to like succeed as a leader or fail as not being a leader. So like to me, I learned that being a goalie. Uh, What else did I put on here? Ability to handle pressure. Yep. Right? I mean, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember, uh, <laughs> I'll give you one. Richie Moran's not listening, so I can tell you. So when I was in college, <laughs> Richie Moran, let's say we had a game at, at two o'clock, right? He wanted us in the right. locker room at like 1130. I go, I don't want to be in the locker room. What am I going to do? Uh, you know, he wants you to think about the game, but I've been thinking about it for all night and then in the morning. So I would sneak a book in. And I'd go in the bathroom and I'd sit and read because I thought about, you know, I'd read like for a little bit, then I'd hide the book. I don't know what he ever would have done if he knew it. But uh, for me, uh, I didn't want, I, I, I wanted not to think about it until like maybe an hour before the game. Uh, not mm-hmm. that I wouldn't think about it before that, but I didn't want three consecutive hours of me st- just thinking about that game. Uh, and then you go out and I always felt, oh my God. You know, <laughs> am I going to go out today and they're going to drill me and, and right. stuff? But then you get in and I don't know about you, Damon, but there were two things. Uh, goalies to me can be very superstitious. I was a little bit. One, the day before a game, I wanted to give up a bad goal saying, okay, I get out of my system today and not tomorrow. Two, mm. two, when I uh, would, would uh, get warmed up, um, I always wanted to make sure that I, you know, that shoot hard, but don't blitz me. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't want that, uh, you know, stay far enough away so that I'm making the saves now. So I get in the game because I always want to make that first save. I always felt if they scored a goal on me on the first shot, I was working uphill for a while. So those yeah. are the two positions I had. Don't, you know, uh, get rid of that bad goal and get that first save in and I would settle down and, and uh, you know, I think be more comfortable after that. It's amazing how much that first touch, that first save calms down a goalie. I was, I mean, I've seen it just so many times cause you're like, you know, your heart's pumping for the first game and then whistle blows. And it's like, as soon as you get that first save, it doesn't matter, you know, even, even if you take one off the, off the helmet and like, man, there's my save like exactly. that. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly true. I think uh, I, a couple of times, I might have made a save where the ball was three feet, you know, wasn't even heading to the goal. But I stepped out yeah. and grabbed it. Okay, that's a save. In my mind, yeah, I got okay, it. I touched it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I, I love it. That's great. Uh, what about, did you ever go through a slump back in your playing days? And do, um, do you recall? And if so, like, how did you go about getting out of that? Uh, you know, I don't remember a prolonged slump. I knew games, mm-hmm. that, and I don't know about you, Damon, but 
probably every goal I ever gave up, I made a save on a similar shot at a different time. Mm. I don't know. I mean, you know, like low away from my stick, you know, they'll score a goal. And then uh, I say, gee, I saved that ball three days ago. I saved on the same shot. Um, I don't think I ever had a real slump where it went for several games. And I'll tell you, it's an interesting story in terms of my college career. High school, I was the only goalie. There was no second goalie. So Mm -hmm. I might've had a slump, but I don't remember it because I, you know, I continue to play. But when I was a junior in college, when I was a junior in college, Bobby Buman, who was a terrific goalie, uh, transferred from uh, Nassau Community to Cornell. He was supposed to go to UMass. Something fell through. And Richie Moran, always looking for good players, got him into Cornell. And I was scared to death of him because I knew how good he was. I knew it. He had been the, uh, you know, the uh, junior college All-American for two years. They won the championship, the whole bit. Now, I figured I had a good sophomore year. I'm going to my junior year. And Richie Mann was the kind of coach that I was, which was, if you do a good job for me, you have to play your way out of it. In other words, if you're there and you're doing a good job, uh, you know, you got to do something to uh, make me want to take you out. So I, I knew, I knew that if I screwed up, Richie Moran, who I love and still do, but he was the coach, would have had no hesitation in taking me out and putting Bobby mm. Buman in. So every game, that was really, every, even every practice, I worked harder in practice. I worked in the offseason because I feared that if I screwed up, you know, went into a slump, as you said, he'd take over. So the result was I became a much better goalie. I, my junior and senior year, I yeah. did, uh, did you know, I thought he did, did very well. And I think a great deal of it was with Bobby Buin. Now, Bobby was a great guy, except we were not friends in college. We became friends, believe it or not, 45 years later. Wow. I could not go to reunions because I was coaching this spring. So I finally retired, went to a reunion. I saw Bobby Buin, and I went over to him. I said, Bobby, I just got to tell you, I was scared to death of you. I was so afraid that, that, you know, you're so good that if I screwed up, you'd go in. So you made me work harder and made me a, a better goalie. And I, I thank you for that. And he goes, well, call me ruler. He goes, ruler, I said, I was scared of you and I hated you. And, I, and, I, and he goes, not really hated you, but I hated the situation I was in. Yeah. So we became great friends after that. We had this common bond. Now, my senior year, I got hurt. For the, you can imagine now, this is really, really sad for me. I got hurt and could not play in a championship game. Mm. And Bobby Newman stepped in. He made 24 saves, gave wow. up six goals. And the only time, in, I think, in the history of lacrosse, I, I had, had a very good season. He w- I was the first-team All-American goalie, and he was the honorable mention goalie. This is when they only picked four goalies, one, two, three, and one honorable mention. So it's the only time in history that that occurred. So in a way, because he was a great goalie, and he sat for two years, he got a chance. And I was, and, and you know, I was bemoaning the fact I couldn't play. But years later, you know, 20 years later, I'm going, you know, I'm glad he got his chance. I, I had my career. People know, you know, the All-American and all that stuff. But Bobby yeah. even got a chance to show who he was. So he pushed me. And that was a good thing. And so... Yeah. I go back to your question about slumps. I don't remember really having, you know, a slump. I remember giving up bad goals, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, where I, I, I didn't move or I felt that it was a bad goal, but I never remembered a prolonged, gee, I can't stop anything in my career. So I was lucky. Pro- probably why you're an All-American and won all the awards. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's a funny thing now. I, I just got into the, um, the uh, I just got elected to the National High School Lacrosse Co- Coaches Hall of Fame. Congratulations. And thank you very much. But you know what it is for me, Damon? It's a party. It's a reunion. I ask mm-hmm. all my teammates to go to it. I get my three brothers who are scattered all over the country. They come to it. They came to the last one I was at. Uh, Richie yeah. Moran comes. So for me, it's not me getting in because the first thing I always say is a goalie is dependent on the people in front of them. So Victor Martosi over there was a great defenseman. I'm in here because, you know, I had him, guys like him playing in front of me. Then I had guys like him playing for me. Yeah. And I've always felt that way. You're only, as a goalie, you're generally as good as the guys in front of you. And so this will be a great reunion. That's why I look at at my age, I'm 71, this is what I look at all these things. It's a reunion. You know, I can I see my brother, my brother Dick will come up from Florida and we'll go out to dinner the night before and we'll do stuff. So that's important to me. Those are the important things. I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Uh, congratulations on that. There was one thing you said um, a little while back that triggered a thought in me, um, which was, you know, I've seen this shot before. I've seen this shot before. And, you know, that's part of what, you know, your training style of just like, I'm going to see a bunch of shots. Like I'm going to be a lax, like a lax goalie rat. I'm going to just see as many shots. And I think that, um, well, I think that like training is incredibly valuable because even though in today's game, like there's more styles of shots that are just capable with the stick, with the pocket. I mean, having like an offset head and a pocket allows you to shoot at just so many different angles Absolutely. still the same the same concept is true it's like i know if i i see these guys shoulders and like wait a minute i've seen this shot before like i know where this yep. one's going yep. um i think i think it's an incredibly valuable training tool just to see shots and see you know get get that experience you absolutely agree you know the, the, the real key though damon is you got to think about it guy yeah. goalies i find incredible goalies they don't say i said what kind of shot was that oh it was a righty overhand okay what'd you notice about it he shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you notice yeah. his hips? Did you notice his shoulders? Do you look at, like I was a great one for looking at scouting reports? You know, I was a great believer in looking and saying, that guy, and I would go in a game, Damon, they'd have a thing, a good player, all lefty, right? So in yeah. a game, I'd go, 22, he's all lefty. He's all lefty. That's all he can do. So overplay him. Now, what I'm hoping is he get mad at me and try to go righty. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Less effective shot, but I would I would do it. I would before a game sometimes I'd walk up to the midfield line, I watch. I I knew who the starting attack was, but this you know at that time there was no film or anything so of other teams. So I would go and watch them. I'd say, oh look at that guy, he's got a little hitch. You know he turns. I mean I store it in my mind, and and with shooters I do the same thing. You know I'd mm. say okay the guy shoots underhand, very hard for him to ride it up into a corner. You know, yeah. we'll keep it low. Uh, you know, I always tell kids, I said, by far the best shot's an overhand shot because I don't know where it's going. I know it's going to yeah. be high, low, left, right. When you shoot underhand or sidearm, I have a pretty good idea where it's going when I was playing then. So you're absolutely right. I would look to see what people did on certain shots and try to remember mm. it. And like, 
uh, on a, uh, I would do little things like on a fast break, uh, coming down, I would take three steps out of the goal and lay my stick on the attackman who was on the left side. Now, the guy's at the midfield line coming down, and if he shot, I could get back in the goal. But you know what it looked mm-hmm. like? I was covering right. that. And yeah. so that guy's not going to try to thread the needle to him. And so I get shot at when the guy's two feet off the crease. Uh, nice. And I look and say, you know, the guy's the guy to my right, he's three or four yards off the crease. But if he throws it to him, I'm going to go out and check his stack. I mean, yeah. I like to being aggressive. I think is so important for goalies, not just aggressive on the ball, which I love, but around the crease at your home, you can check sticks. You can do, uh, you know, I, that's what I would do. I would go around any attackman around me. I'd start calculating. If he gets the ball, can I get to him? Can I get to him when the ball gets to him and check mm-hmm. the stick? And I did that a ton of times, David, where guy would throw the ball. I would, uh, you know, sprint out three or four yards as the ball got to him i check a stick the ball would roll out of bounds and i don't yeah. see going to win that anymore yeah they're not as aggressive i don't know but yeah i think i think one thing um i, I agree i kind of agree with that they're not as aggressive but one thing that i do see some of the pros do and i try and coach this is just like you know to read the play read the play right. so i i know like there's a guy right here on the crease right and maybe if they thread it to him like I know he's there. And so as soon as I see that pass going there, like I've already moved over on my arc exactly. and I'm there to defend that. Um, exactly. So I think that's, that's a key element is just, is just being able, and that comes with experience, um, yeah. just being able to read the play. Um, but yeah, I, I like the idea. I mean, I always, I was a smaller quick goalie and I like, if yeah. I could, if I could get a win a ground ball or chase out a shot, like that's a turnover. That's the same thing as a, as a save and a turnover, right? So exactly I, true. And extremely I, valuable. I, I agree with you, Damon. All around the crease, you got to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive. And like you said, knowing where the, your opponents are is so important. And anticipating, where's this guy going to throw the ball? Guy's yeah. coming down with a fast break. Is, you know, where's he looking? Is he looking at the point guy? Are you defensive and in tight enough so he can't the corner guy? You got to think of those things and talk to your defense. Yeah, you know, I, I endlessly I would yell, get in tighter, because defensemen have a tendency that they want to set up at the restraining line. You know, some of my def- yeah. my guys think that's the point. It's not. You know, you're out so far that it gives the point guy guys plays got plenty of room to maneuver. So yeah. being talkative, you know, saying the right thing, and having your team listen to what you say. There's where I talk about leadership. You, the team's got to have confidence in you. They're going to think mm-hmm. you know what you're doing, even if you don't. They got to think you know what you're doing. And yeah. so when you say, get in tighter to the, to the, to the um, point guy or the guy on the left, get in, you know, get in tighter, John, or whatever you want to call it, they've got to, got to have that confidence and that respect that they're going to do what you tell them to do. Yeah. And I, I always felt... You know, it's funny when uh, towards the end of my career, I was so comfortable at all the stuff you and I are talking about right now. I mean, I get in the goal and I, I just was so comfortable in what I was doing. I could an, anticipating and like you said, shots, everything else. Um, I, I just felt I was prepared, you know, nice. after a, yeah. a long time of uh, practice stuff, I was prepared, ready to go. Yeah. What was your um, communication style? So. Um, I mean, were you very like loud, verbose, like 
you know, energetic goalie or, I mean, there's other goalies that are not, you know, more like calm, a little bit more on the quiet side. Um, that, I'm curious what your style was. Well, I think just by talking to me, Damon, I think you could tell what my style probably was. Like. <laughs> um, That's right. here's a, but here's the interesting thing. I, I would define it as staccato. I realize if I sit and go, what's the guy on the left, the guy on the right, the good, you know, number 32, he might shoot the ball. If you're saying it one continuous thing, <clears throat> you get tuned out. You know, the people in front of you tune out. So I was very staccato. I go, 22, he shoots right. Watch 33, you know, or something like that. I would, I would do it in short little bursts like that. Mm-hmm. And what you heard me now was how I would be in the, in, in the, in, okay. on the field. You know, I would try to be commanding, try to be loud, but do it staccato. Uh, like I'd say, let's start beginning of the game. All right, I go, all right, who's got the point on the fast break? Who's got the left corner? Who's got the right corner? And I, I would, I would, if they didn't yell it back, I'd say, who's got it? And finally, let, let's say it was Victor Martosi's play. play. You go, Victor, I got the point. Okay, good. Who's got the left corner? And, and I would do that before we start because that would set the tone. Yeah. That would set the tone. And that would also tell the other team, I think, hey, we're dealing with a team that maybe is a little more professional, if you know yeah. what I mean. You know, I, we don't hear goalies yell that out. We don't hear defensemen yell that out. So I think it also sets a tone. It's, it's like when I was coaching, and I didn't realize when I was playing, but when you play teams that are very well known, I used to joke that the jersey, the Manhasset jersey was worth a goal. Because other teams had heard about our reputation. Hmm. And it's like um, like Tory Pines, where you are. I know them because they beat Garden City years ago. And Garden City is one of the big powerhouses on the island. So right away, I knew Tory Pines. I knew they had to be good because of who they beat. So mm-hmm. my idea is, is that if we were to play Tory Pines then, I would have a lot of respect for them. I'd look at their jerseys, so to speak. And I think that that happened. It happened even in college. You know, you play, you go and you and someone look at your uh, shirt and say, "Gee, Cornell." You know, I mean, sure, that's sure. a tough deal. So uh, I spoke, I said, in a very staccato way, not all the time, uh, mm-hmm. but just to give like encouragement and orders or whatever. But I felt if I talked too much, I'd be overwhelming. You know, I'd be just overwhelming. And occasionally what I do, Damon, though, is anticipate, like, you, let's say uh, you're concerned about a guy uh, cutting to the cage, the ball, okay, looking for a feed. You go, and you turn and say, hey, watch 22, watch 22, right. cut to the goal. And you're hoping the defensive guy, you know, who's been kind of watching the ball on the other side of the field, suddenly turns to 22 and sees him there. How many times have your guy get beat because he's, he's watching the ball? I mean, for me, I mean, it happened on the USA team. Guy would start mm. watching the ball. This guy would slip by him. The guy would feed him, and he'd score a goal. And that would drive yeah. me crazy. So I would really try to hard, work hard to say, you know, off ball. Look at the off ball. Don't just look as right. a goalie. Don't just look at the ball. Look at what's going on on the off ball side. See what's going on, and you can help by telling people things. Watch the pick. You know, watch that 22, you know, from, from, uh, sneaking behind you, you know, keep your eye on your man, split vision. So I'd use phrases like that to keep the offside guy, because I always figured Damon that 
if you prevent a guy from getting the ball, it's just as good as a save. Mm, you know, yeah. just yeah. by saying something and make your defensive guy aware it's so the guy couldn't cut, that's as good as a save. So yeah, I love it. Awesome. Thank you. That, that's great. Yeah. I've ton, tons of great stuff in there. I, I was curious, like as you joined say team USA for the first time, yeah. or even joined joined Cornell for the first time, like with a new group of guys, brand new group of guys, like, you know, your reputation, I don't know, maybe it precedes you a little bit, but maybe it doesn't like, how do you go about, you know, being a leader of that in that situation when nobody knows you? Uh, there are two things that occur. One is that, of course, your reputation precedes you. Um, one of the interesting things about uh, my career, you know, I because went to Cornell at the time, I met some fairly, you know, powerful people. And mm-hmm. Bill O'Reilly is, is, was a neighbor of mine, as an example of a guy. Right. You like him or not, he was a neighbor. But yeah. I always felt, I said, you know, I've done things in my life that, have, have made me, you know, proven. I, I played a game where I proved myself continuously to be, you know, to be able to play this game at a very high level. So when I went into Cornell and I had a very good senior year in my high school year, which gave me a lot of confidence, I said, all right, they're going to know me. Coaches know me, they know me, but I have to show them who I am. And the same with you the USA team, which came together for about two weeks before we left. I knew most mm-hmm. of these guys by reputation only, except for the couple of Cornell guys were playing. So I knew that I had to show them that whatever they'd heard about me, hopefully was true. So I would pay particular attention. I get to know the guys. I'd be very, when the coaches talked, I would pay particular attention to what they were looking for. I would bring them in and say, okay, this is how I talk to you guys. I would tell them what I do, any suggestions, any problems. I would get them to be, and in fact, we'd be part of a team together. You know, the defense, I'd say, I said, we want to be together. And I think that's how I, 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 I would, um, you know, make them feel comfortable with me, make me feel like I was leader. I included them in decisions I made early on. I played my game. You know, I didn't change. I didn't do anything to show off. I just went out and said, all right, I'm just going to play my game and, you know, come what may. And, and it worked. It worked for love me. It. You know, it seemed to work for me. I love it. And I want to play. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about the stick, the stick you used. So um, for those like back in the seventies, for those that haven't seen it, you know, it's, it's all wooden essentially, you know, the one, like one single piece of wood. Right. And yeah. then, I mean, you could, maybe you yeah. could describe like, how it's built, and then like if you broke one, where did you get another one? Well, that's they're all they're made of hickory, traditionally mm-hmm. made. Uh, even today, uh, the box six and stuff. Although they do use them, I'm, I'm actually I'm staring at one right now in my living room. Uh, they were made of hickory, and they can be bent, and they were steamed, and they were bent into a triangular shape. So mm-hmm. at the top, you could tell what kind of stick it was by how many holes there were. Six holes was a goalie stick. Four yeah. or five was a defensive stick. And four generally was a midi or an attack stick. They got smaller. Yeah. yeah. And then there was something called a gut wall, which was made of cat gut, which is very, very stiff. That would go down one side of the stick because you couldn't bend the stick, you know, into right. four corners. So you do that. I, 
And, and it's an interesting thing that you said, mentioned the stick, Damon. I became a stick rat. I would go, uh, there was a local guy who sold sticks and I would always pick out two for the season. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would go and spend, literally, I might spend all day because because they were made individually, they're, yeah. you know, one of a kind, balance, how they, uh, how they felt in your hands yeah. was very important. So I might spend all day, and it was so nice because it smelled that leather smell and stuff. Talking <laughs> like, well, yeah. I love doing it. But you'd spend all day trying to pick out, I'd try to pick out two sticks for the season that yeah. fit what I liked. Then I'd take them home, and as a goalie, uh, I said, you know, there are no rules about goalies how deep the pocket can be, nor how big the uh, the um, the the uh, catgut wall can be. So I always build my wall bigger, like a wall mm. average one was three inches. Mine was five. You know why? When I made a save, I sometimes I said, gee, if I move my stick a little too quick, I might catch the wall and go back, go in the stick rather than catch the nice, wall yeah. and go. In the wall. Also, yeah. when I was clearing the ball, the ball sat deeper in the stick and it was more protective. And yeah. I think making a, a, a save uh, uh, because it was a little bit deeper, I tended not to give up as much rebounds. So you had a wood stick. It was fairly heavy. And uh, you hoped it lasted the whole season, but most of the time, somewhere in the middle of the season, it broke. Yeah. And uh, and you, you had to have a backup. So most people carried at least two sticks during right. that time period. And you were constantly repairing it. You could repair the leathers. You repair mm-hmm. the inside of it. Mm-hmm. There's a shooting thing. And honestly, Damon, there was nothing like a, a beautiful spring day, uh, sitting on the back porch, you know, fixing my stick and getting it just the way I wanted. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it was, I, I hate to use craftsmanship, but I just love that feeling of, uh, of getting my stick ready. And again, even when I played during that time period, I didn't see a whole lot of goalies who did what I did. You know, mm. who got their stick and they played with it. And maybe they had a good stick. But I look at some of them, I go, oh, my God, why don't they fix that? The, some of the leathers look broken. They're afraid. Yeah, but they're yeah, yeah. Awesome. Did you, was the stance such that, like, you set up with your top hand, kind of like, call it at the throat, like right where the, the yeah. what's it called, the cat intestine meets the meets the wood? Yeah. Was it, Just was it a little bit area. lower? If uh, If you read the book, it'll tell you what I did. I, I kept it there. I mean, and I, I would say, even in the book, I'd say, look, I'm not trying to make a whole lot of Bob rules. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. your own, <laughs> more comfortable with your hand farther down on it than I was. I kept it fairly high. And the way I, the way I would stand, I said, okay, I don't want my stick covering any part of my body because my body can stop the ball. Now I have a double mm-hmm. layer somewhere. I want the stick and my body to cover as much as I can of the goal. So I had a little trick. And I did it again until at USA final game. I when I got the goal, got my stance. I used to I draw my arm and do all that stuff. The last thing I would do is I'd I'd stretch my arms all the way out. I'm doing it now with a stick at the yeah. angle I wanted and bring it halfway back. And that way it was just in front of my mask, so it's not going to hit me if I want to make a save on the right hand side. And it's just off my shoulder. There's nothing below my shoulder, and that was a very, very easy way. To, to get myself ready. And I also tell people, I held a stick. If you hit me in the hands, my stick would fall out of it, my hands. And what are you talking about? I said, it's a shock absorber. If you hold your stick like death, you know, your arms are tight. 
the ball's going to bounce out of your stick. You hold it as soft as you can and still control it. Your stick will give a little bit when you catch it. So I really learned to hold my stick, you know, not like, like, like strangling a chicken. I learned to hold my stick very, very lightly so that when the ball hit my stick, it, it would, my arms would give a little bit automatically. And my arms weren't as tight, so they were looser, so I felt they moved faster. I'd still do that even with the modern sticks. I think yeah. I, I would do that. I was the last goalie to play in the World Games with a wood stick. That was the last nice. time. So I don't know if that's nice or not, but, but yeah. uh, <laughs> well, it's definitely historic as are you, Bob, you've got a historic resume of, of, of sports and, and only uh, player to win an NCAA championship in, in lacrosse and hockey, hockey. two sports, yeah. right? Yeah. I never knew that. I, I went to a dinner and um, I was getting something. Uh, and I had a friend of mine named Mark Kaminsky was, a, he was the biggest hockey agent in the in the country and if you ever see miracle on ice they were all his clients and he's mm-hmm. actually in the movie cornell guy but arthur goes to dinner and he and he was giving a little talk about me he goes and bob rule the only person in ncaa history to be on two national championship teams in two different sports and i looked at him and i go i didn't know that <laughs> didn't know. that's great so he called the NCAA and they found out and it's a great honor i when i look back you know, to be able to do something like that is is incredible. I, uh, to to say, gee, I was able to accomplish something like that is when I was doing it was just a lot of fun. Sure. <laughs> sure. Now people go, gee, that's a real accomplishment. So I guess it is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for coming on, Bob. Um, if you had to leave the kids out there with um, one last piece of goalie advice, what what would you tell them? Have fun. Have fun. Have fun. Enjoy the game learn but but and i use the word be a student of the game watch other goalies watch good goalies learn tips from them always listen to a coach but you you be your own person decide what's best for your style but look at other goalies you can learn from them look at the best goalies around that's what i did i jimmy kaplan butch hilliard i'd look at them and say hey i want to do that and i would work on it so that's what i'd say you can learn from other goalies by watching them play carefully so, David, we've got four hours to go. We got four hours to go. So, before yeah, we hit record, Bob said he had he 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 put he put he he uh, reserved five hours for this podcast. I only reserved one, so maybe that's my fault. Uh, <laughs> I think we'll survive. But, David, thank you so much. This is great. I enjoyed it. I Absolutely, really Bob. It was a pleasure chatting with you. As always, let's stay in touch. And um, and uh, hey, we got to change the rule committee together. So we got we got that. Absolutely right, David. That's that's going to be my big thing, and so I'll be in touch. And, and together, let's do it. Have a great day, Bob. Okay, thank you. Thanks, David. Take care. Bye now. Bye. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the great Bob Rule. Such a classic guy, classic character, great goalie back in his day. One of the best to ever strap on the pads and play this position. I hope you learned a thing or two. It was just such a pleasure getting to chat with Bob, a great goalie mind that he is. That'll do it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lax Goalie Rap Podcast. If you did, do me a favor. Send this episode to somebody, a goalie in your life, a coach in your life, a parent in your life who you think would benefit from it. And give me a five-star review in iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. 
It really helps get the word out. That'll do it for this week. I'm Coach Damon. Until next time, be well. You've been listening to the Lax Goalie Rat Podcast with your host, Coach Damon Wilson.